get myself situated here. Get going. As I trip over cords and wires. All right, let's go before the Lord. We'll jump in. Father God, we just uh, come before you now and ask that as we open up your word, that you would bless us, challenge us, and help us to grow. Help us to remember you and your work uh, in the church and, and individuals. And uh, thank you so much for this time, Lord. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Ah, there we are. Um, I have a random question for you guys and gals. Uh, what does stretching Martin Luther <coughs> and uh, Eric Sietzema have in common? We both probably smell bad at this point. Well, I'll, I'll explain, maybe. And it'll make sense or it won't. Just roll with me on this. When, <laughs> yes, that could be part of it. Um, when you stretch, right, like you wake up in the morning, get out of bed, um, I'm in my, I'm told I'm in my mid-30s now, because I just celebrated my 34th birthday, so I'm in my mid-30s now. You wake up, you get out of bed, and you kind of groan a little, uh, you stand up, and your knees crack, and, and, and you stretch. Uh, you loosen the joints, you bring life back to the muscles in your body that have been stiff all night, and you feel... Like when you stretch, and even if you stretch before you work out or you stretch before you do anything, you feel an immediate relief, right? You feel this immediate, like, ah, the tension's gone. I have stretched. But the cool thing about stretching is that over time, if you stretch for a long time, like let's just say you do the same stretch over and over again every day, be it yoga or whatever it is you're into, Pilates, is that a stretching thing? We'll go with it. And, and you do it every day. There's long-term benefits that... You don't see right away, but in the long run, it's, it's better for you than if you do, right? There's an immediate relief when you stretch, but then there's also like this long-term benefit because you become more uh, flexible. You, uh, you, you, know, you're, you know, you're that old person who can just bend down and pick stuff up with no problem, stuff like that, right? And so there's like this immediate relief to stretching, but then there's also this like long-term benefit, Right? All right, Martin Luther. Martin Luther obviously is the guy who, who started the Protestant Reformation. Without him, we wouldn't really be sitting here today in the way that we are because he's responsible for, uh, well, for that. And, and so if you look back in history and, and you uh, go back to the time when Martin Luther first penned his 95 Thesis, and he went to the Gutenberg, if I pronounce it right, I probably pronounced it wrong, and he posted the thesis on the door, um, which back then wasn't really like a super rebellious thing to do because the door would have been like a bulletin board to us now. And so he would have posted that 95 thesis, and right away he would have experienced maybe a sense of fear, but also maybe a sense of relief because he's finally put what he's convicted about out there. Because the church that he loved and had devoted his life to 
was essentially doing something that he was like, this is not right. I can't continue to, to, to be quiet as they do this. Because at the time, what they were doing was they were essentially giving, like charging people money so that their dead relatives to get, to get into heaven. That's what they were doing. And Luther was just like, no. The church shouldn't be in authority on this. The word of God speaks nothing of that kind of thing happening. And so I'm going to post this thesis. And so right when he posts this thesis, there is an immediate relief. Ah, I did it. But what he didn't know is that in the long term, that would spark the Reformation. It would spark something that eventually would do a lot of really cool things. Like, for instance... Translate the Bible into a common language so that everyone has access to the Word of God. And stuff like that. Big stuff that have long-term benefits so that we stand here today and we have Bibles galore and we can open them up and read it. All because he, in that moment, experienced that little moment of relief for posting his convictions to his fellow faculty and staff by putting that 95 thesis out. He had no idea that it would do that in the long run. There was an immediate relief, but then there was long-term benefit. Eric Sietzema. Now, just give me a second. I'll maybe explain. Ten years ago, the church was, well, actually, let's go longer than ten years ago, maybe 11 years ago. The, The church was without a pastor, Right? So when a church is without a pastor, they have to put together a big committee, right? They have to do a search committee. They have to start looking at candidates. They have to go through and interview people and look at pastors and do a bunch of work and find out which person's the right person for the job, right? It's a lot of work. It's tedious. Search committees generally aren't very fun. At least that's been my experience and that's what I'm told. And they found a guy. An unlikely guy, right? Because again, as I said earlier when I was uh, doing announcements, the average lifespan of a pastor these days is two to four years. And most pastors, when they come into a small rural church, their idea is, hey, um, this is like a stepping stone for my career. So I'm going to serve in this small little congregation for a few years, but I want to eventually make it up to the to the top dog. I want a book deal. I want to speak at the conferences. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start at the bottom and work my way up. And they don't generally look at the church, the small church, as this is my home, this is my congregation, right? But, like, we lucked out when we hired Pastor Eric because he didn't come in here with that mindset. At least I don't assume so. I can't be in his head to know for sure, nor do I want to be in his head. But you know what I'm saying, right? And so when the church and the search committee finally picked Eric and he came in and he, you know, got hired and he started, there was an immediate relief. We don't have to have a search committee anymore. We have a guy. We got a pastor. He's in the parsonage. He's here every week. He's doing his job. We're good. There's an immediate relief, right? There's an immediate effect. Go 10 years down the road. And Eric has impacted, and this is the reason we're celebrating him, right? And maybe we need that reminder. This isn't like to put Eric on a pedestal and like make him look like he's the coolest thing since sliced toast or whatever, but like he is a big deal for our church and for this community as a whole, right? There was an immediate relief when they hired him, right? 
There was a long-term effect that we never could have really known about until now, about the impact that he would have on the town and the impact that he would have on our church. A perfect impact? No, he's with his flaws, obviously, just like me, as he talks about regularly, which is the reason most people love him. But between those three things, right, there is an immediate relief. You stretch, you feel it. Martin Luther felt the relief of, ah, I got this out there. It's, it's, it's done. The search committee found their pastor. We don't have to t- deal with the searching anymore. Ah, relief. But then there was also at the same time a long-term effect, a long-term thing that over time we would only see by experiencing it, and we would only see by moving through time, right? This morning, we're going to be uh, continuing through Acts, and I'm just going to be covering a couple verses after what Eric covered last week. But for quick review, because I like doing quick reviews, I think sometimes we, you know, we've been going through Acts for a while, and maybe we just need a few reminders, right? Uh, Acts was written by Luke, right? Maybe you already know that. I'll assume you do. But just in case you don't, here's a reminder. It was written by Luke. Luke also wrote a gospel. The gospel of Luke and Acts are connected because they were written to the same dude. His name was Theophilus. Maybe it wasn't a dude. or a, he, was a, he was a gentleman. Sorry. I've got to watch my slang. He was a gentleman. And he wrote both of these books to him to tell him about Christ. So first you have the gospel of Luke, the story of Christ, written in a very particular and specific way because Luke was a doctor and he was very smart and articulate. And then he writes Acts about the church and the church starting and the church moving, right? Uh, one could say that the key verse in Acts is Acts 1.8. And it's actually Jesus himself speaking at the beginning. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses through Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, right? And so, Acts was written to help us understand how the church started and look at its history and watch as God himself moved unhindered in the spreading of the gospel. Because one, he used imperfect people to do it. I mean, Paul. He was once a dude named Saul, sorry, a guy named Saul, who persecuted the church and murdered Christians and arrested them and held jackets for the other guys who were stoning Stephen. Like, he was a bad dude. Guy. You know, I'm not even going to try and stop using slang. It's just, I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyways, God used him. God knocked him off his horse and saved him and used him to write most of the New Testament. There was an immediate relief, right? There was this immediate, ah, he's been saved, he's been changed, and now he knows the truth, and now he knows the gospel, and now he's going to go and spread it. And then there was obviously this long-term effect, because by the end of it, most of the New Testament is Paul preaching the gospel over and over again to the churches throughout the world at the time, and eventually to the whole world. Which leads us to here. Immediate relief, long-term effect, right? And so as we dive into this particular story in chapter 18, we need to kind of remember what's going on. At this point, Paul is in Corinth. Corinth is like a really popular city. 
mostly because of its location, right? It is located in a prime spot for trading and for commerce and for all the cool stuff that happens between people selling goods and living life. And so it is a very popular city. You're awesome if you live in Corinth. You're a big deal, especially if you've got a good market going, selling your fish or maybe you sell shrimp. I don't know. Business is good. And so Paul is in Corinth, and he's preaching the gospel. And as we looked at last week, and for the last couple of weeks, Eric has been walking us through him and his interactions with the Jews and the Gentiles in Corinth, right? And how's it, how's it go? He, he starts off by doing what he always does. He goes to the synagogue, and he preaches the gospel and debates and argues with the Jews, and the Jews ultimately reject him. And so he moves on, and he's like, you know what? The blood is off my hands. I'm going to go talk to the Gentiles. And so then he goes and he talks to the Gentiles. He preaches to the Gentiles. You see immediate results. People are saved. God moves and uses this imperfect Paul to spread the gospel throughout Corinth. And then eventually, and and I wasn't here last week for Eric's sermon, but I did listen to it online. And he talked about Doubt, right? Because he looked at this idea that we as humans tend to put people on a pedestal, especially biblical characters, and make them into these perfect heroes that can do no wrong. But like if we actually read our Bibles, right? And Eric reminded us of this. Like if we actually read the scriptures, there are no faultless heroes in this book minus Christ, right? Like, everyone has flaws. Everyone does super sketchy stuff that you're like, that's cringy, as the young ones would say. Or cringe. I don't think they'd do the E at the end. My cool youth kids will correct me later, I'm sure. But it was, yeah. And, and so, he uses Paul... We see this immediate result of the gospel. And we also see that Paul is a person and is a human, right? He's an imperfect human, and he wrestles with doubt. And we don't see it, like, bluntly in the text, but we see it enough because he has a dream one night, and God gives him a vision, and God tells him, well, actually, you know what? I'm just going to read it. He says to him, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Right? We're reminded in this moment that this huge, smart, awesome, preaching machine Paul is a person who doubts and fears and wonders And God comforts him and meets him in that immediate and fulfills that need that he needed in that moment. And so then because of that, he's able to go on and continue to preach for a few months in Corinth. But then hurt comes, right? Uh, People come against him. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So starting in verse 12 and 13. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, 
This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Now, a few things that need our attention. Who is this Galileo guy? Or Galileo? Galileo. You know, I literally Googled the name and asked Google to tell me how to pronounce it because I just wanted to get it right. And I'm pretty sure that's right. We're going to go with it. And so this Galileo guy is actually very important. A proconsul back in that day would have essentially been like a mayor or uh, a governor, right, over Corinth. And honestly, he would have only been in Corinth for maybe one to two years. That's usually how long they served uh, during that time. And so during that time, uh, he, it's cool that Luke mentions him for many reasons. The first is, one, history outside of the Bible proves that this Galileo guy existed, right? He was a huge figure in history during that particular time in Rome and in the Roman culture. He eventually would move on to go to Rome and be on the Senate and be like a, a big guy. But at this time, he's serving here in Corinth. And the reason's a big deal because they have recently discovered, like, you know, through archaeological digs and cool stuff like that, and I think it was 2014 when they discovered this, so recent history, they have discovered that, like, he was a real person and he actually was, as Luke portrays in this text, in Corinth at that time. And so he really did what Acts said he did, which is really cool, right? I mean, it's fun to nerd out when you see history proving that the Bible is actually true, especially when you look at Luke, because Luke is so specific. And we see him being very specific here, and now we have proof, like, hey, that actually did happen. And Galileo was an important figure. Now, he's pro-council. He would have been on what is called the beta seat, which is essentially the judgment seat. Bema seat, thank you. I said beta, I meant bema. It's the bema seat. And actually, in my first slide, you see a picture of it. That little pillar right there is the bema. And this would have been the area where people sit. They recently found this. This is in Corinth. This is remains of where the trial would have most likely taken place in Acts 18. And so he's on the seat. The Jews drag Paul into this public court. They throw him before Galileo. And they say, hey, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. He's breaking the law. Dude, you need to do something about this, Galileo. Like, this guy is making a mess of things, and they bring this list of accusations before him. As you remember in the couple paragraphs before this, they had rejected what Paul had to say. And now you have to imagine maybe how Paul's feeling in this moment, because as of last week, we've, we've seen God come alongside and comfort him and remind him, like, hey, I'm with you. I got you. There are people here that are going to have your back. I'm with you ultimately, and just continue doing what you're doing. And now he's being drugged before this court by these Jews who have already rejected him. And the hard part is, is, is for Paul, though he preached to the Gentiles, he always had a heart for his fellow Jewish brothers. He always wanted the Jewish brothers to hear the gospel and believe, and yet they continually rejected it. 
That had to hurt, right? You ever experienced that? Where like you want someone you love to know about the grace and goodness of God and experience how awesome he is and they just, ah, they're not having it. It hurts. And so for Paul, right, he is continually preaching the gospel. And yes, he's seeing all this awesome stuff happen in the Gentile world because he's got this church going and people are believing and the gospel is being preached and spread. But he still has to deal with the fact that the people he really, really wants to see saved because they're his kin are rejecting him. And now they're dragging him before the court and trying to get him arrested and kicked out or worse, killed or beaten at least. And so they bring him to Galileo. Hey, this guy is preaching contrary to the law. What are you going to do, sir? What are you going to do? Now, this is the cool part. But when Paul was about to open his mouth. Now, let's get, in the, let's get inside the head of Paul, right? He's about, like he's going, all right, I guess I'm going to have to defend myself. I guess I'm going to have to preach. All right, Lord, give me the words to speak. Here we go. Use me. Help me to proclaim the gospel to this Galileo guy and, and help the Jews to actually hear what I'm saying. Please, like, please let them hear it. Here we go. Galileo said to the Jews. So Paul doesn't even get to open his mouth. Like he opens it to talk and Galileo steps in. He's like, hey. And here's what he says. This is what he says to the Jews. If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. Now, because Galileo is who he is at this moment in history, serving as the proconsul in Corinth, up on the next seat to head to Rome and be on the Senate. Big figure, big deal. Because he is saying what he's saying, this is going to have an immediate effect on Paul, but it's also going to have long-term effects that he can't even see yet. Sorry. Right? And so he says this, before Paul even has a chance to speak. Remember, he, he wants to preach the gospel to the Jews. He wants, he wants to get this opportunity, but he's also like, well, I've got to have to defend myself here because they're bringing these accusations, and they're really not really good accusations, and I guess I'll have to defend myself here. And he goes to open his mouth, and God steps in through Galileo and says, hey, man, I got it. Remember that promise from earlier? I got you. I got you. And he uses this Roman proconsul to protect him. And really, the funny thing is, is the accusations that the Jews were bringing, to, uh, bringing before him were just, they weren't sticking. They weren't making sense. They weren't landing. Like, he just wasn't having it. Because back in that day, what they would have most likely been trying to do was they would have been trying to get Paul and the Christian faith as a whole, to be looked at as a cult. Because if that were the case, Rome would like do away with it because they didn't deal with that kind of stuff. It was illegal. And so what Galileo does sets a precedent that will affect the church from here on out. And I'll explain what I mean by that. 
Um, actually, let me go back. And I'll explain it like this. Essentially what happens now is that every uh, official in Rome that looks at the Christian faith will for now on look at it as a subsect of Judaism. Therefore, because of that, it's protected. And because it's protected, it's not going to be labeled as a cult and then cut out of Rome. So for Paul, he feels this immediate like, oh, well, God just took care of it through this Galileo guy. Now, again, I'm guessing, I don't know for sure if that's how Paul thought about it. Maybe he was upset because he was looking forward to preaching the gospel before him. Who knows? I don't know. I wasn't there. But my guess is, is he had an immediate relief because he was set free. Because right after that, he shuts the, shuts the court down, kicks him out, says, hey, get out of here. We're done. I'm not listening to you Jews. You've got no real accusations to bring before me. I'm out. And so Paul would have immediately felt this like, oh, okay, I'm good to go. I can continue to stay in Corinth, and I can continue to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Now, I call this the curious case of Sosthenes. Who is this Sosthenes, and how did he appear out of nowhere, and what is going on? Right? It's kind of random. It's kind of random that it would show up in this text. Like, oh, they grabbed this guy Sosthenes and beat him up. And it's even more confusing because it says, all it says is they grabbed him. Who's they? Now, to this day, we actually don't really have any idea. We have a few guesses. I'll give you two. The first is, if you go back to that picture I showed you at the beginning of the remains of that little uh, Bema, Bema seat. I almost said beta again. Bema seat judgment. It's in an open public forum. So anybody's welcome to come and and partake in this. It's a public court. And so they would have been, oh, someone turned it off. Oh, thank you. Uh, So they would have been in this public place. And so Gentiles, Jews, everyone would have been watching this happen. And so either the they are a group of angry Gentiles Because there were a group of Gentiles in Corinth who despised Jews. And they probably would have been looking for an opportunity to beat a Jew up. So let's grab the leader Sosthenes of the synagogue who brought these false claims to Paul. And let's let's beat him. That's one thing that could have happened. And actually, weirdly enough, this would have been like a kind of poetic justice in a sense. Because if Sosthenes was the main guy bringing the accusations about Paul to Galileo, then he would have gotten what he wanted Paul to get. Does that make sense? Like, he wanted Paul to get beat, but then instead he got beat. See what I'm saying? That's one thing that could have happened. Again, we don't know for sure. It's a guess. The other thing is is that they could have been a mob of Jews. And the reason I say that is if you read 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul mentions the name Sosthenes at the beginning of his letter. Sosthenes was with him when he wrote 1 Corinthians. And so it could have been that the leader of this synagogue, this Jewish synagogue, was a sympathizer to Paul. And he eventually got saved. 
And so then the mob that beat him could have been the other Jews who realized that he was a sympathizer and got mad in response because they didn't get their way. Again, it's a curious case of Sosthenes. We don't really know what was going on there. But what we do know is that at the end of the day, God brought immediate action that set Paul free and he took care of him as he had promised in the paragraphs above. Right? He took care of Paul. But not only that, he took care of the church as a whole because for the rest of history going onward, well, actually, through the rest of Acts, going onward, for starters, this court decision that Galileo makes will pave the way for Paul to go to Rome and preach the gospel in Rome. Right? And what we see happening here is Acts 1.8 coming true. I will give you power through the Holy Spirit so that you can make disciples of Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the world. Right? We see it at work here. We see that God is going to spread the message of the gospel and ain't nothing going to stop it. God's going to move. God's going to take a a killer and a persecutor named Saul and turn him into his number one preaching guy and he's going to spread the word. He's going to use some court official dude named Galileo to protect him and then protect the church so that the gospel can spread. It can be hard to look at random narrative texts like this in Acts and be like, well, that's all well and good, Jeremy. Thank you for that history lesson. Wow, I'm about to fall asleep. Can you wrap up, please, right? That's the sense I get. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just boring myself. Because it's really, after this point, it's felt like a big history lesson, right? Like, all I've been talking about is Paul and this moment in time where he's experiencing that immediate relief from God and, and seeing God, like, keep his promise. And then we're seeing this spread out through history. Which is funny, because then it eventually leads to the Reformation, right? And it leads to us being here and getting a cool pastor named Eric for ten years, which is a big deal. Right? There's this immediate, and then there's this long-term effect. I keep repeating myself, right? I keep saying that over and over again. And so then the the question for us this morning, what does this have to do with me, right? How do we apply a narrative text like this? We're, We're looking at a historical event, a thing that actually happened in history. And we're going, oh, what do I do with this? And honestly, I wrestled with that for a long time because a lot of times it is a challenge to preach narratives because you're like, well, how do you apply this? And so to the best of my ability, here are two things you can do with this text this morning. Church of God, Big Sandy, Montana. Ready? Two things. One, remember that God is moving in the immediate That God is a part of the day-to-day, in-and-out parts of your life, even when you don't feel his presence. He's in it. He's there. This story serves as a reminder that God is not only moving in the grand scheme of the church, but he's also moving in our day-to-day lives. Because we look at Paul and he was experiencing doubt, 
he was probably experiencing a little hurt because he's like, these are my brothers. I devoted my entire life to being a Jew, and now they're rejecting me. But God's got him. But God's going to provide that. And so for us as believers, we need to remember. We need to remember that God is at work and he's moving in your life even when you don't understand it. Right? You experience loss. Been experiencing that a lot this year. You look at the state of our country and you're like, oh, Lord, what are you doing, man? America doesn't really feel like America anymore. I had to pay $18 for a five dozen pack of eggs. That's not okay, Lord. What is going on? It's true, by the way. That's, a, that's ridiculous, right? It's really expensive. Eggs are delicious. I might have to buy chickens. Don't tell my wife I said that. Because she's, she's got a fear of birds, and then I would make her get the eggs to help her face her fears. Anyways, I'm rabbit trailing. <laughs> but the point is, is remember God in the immediate. He is there. He is moving. He is working. And he's using imperfect people like me, like Eric, and like you to move and spread the gospel, to serve and love those who are hurting and doubting and in fear and need the gospel. He's using you and he's moving and having his way. And guess what? The church isn't going to stop spreading. I get on like Twitter and social media and stuff and I like to follow like atheists and they talk a big talk. It's kind of funny and entertaining because they're like, ah, Christianity will be a, a dead thing in a few years. Yeah, I can out-argue them, no problem. It's a dead, it's a dying thing. It's just a silly religion. It won't last long. <laughs> no, it's not going anywhere, guys. And it's not, not going anywhere because of us, right? Like the church isn't going to keep spreading because I'm up here. No, no. Or even Eric, no, no, it's God. He's moving. He's here. He's present. Remember that. Remember that he is here in the immediate. He's here in the now. He's in the day-to-day. Second thing, and then I'll close. Remember that he's moving in the long term, right? Like, look at history. Look at the fact that in the grand scheme of things, God has continued to spread and grow the church. Even look at the history of our church, right? Like you can look at uh, Mr. Warner, who I believe was the founder of the Church of God movement. They don't like saying denomination. It's a movement, which is just a fancy word for denomination. Either way. Don't tell them I said that. They'd be offended. But when he started this movement, the Church of God, he started it on the basis of, I'm tired of all the disunity. I just want to be the Church of God. I just want to follow the Lord, the, the Lord, and I want to preach His Word and nothing else. I don't want to have to worry about all this other stuff and all this other politics and all that. I just want to preach the Word. And through that one guy starting a movement, like we sit here in this church today, because God has been moving, and He will continue to move, right? And so my challenge for you is, yes, it's, you know, And it's funny that I named the sermon Remembering and that tomorrow's Memorial Day. I didn't even actually connect those dots. I didn't even think about it. 
Sorry, I'm terrible. I'm a terrible American. Apologize. But it works out because of this, right? On Memorial Day, we remember those fallen heroes who sacrificed their lives so that we could enjoy the freedoms and even the inflation that we enjoy today, right? Like they did that. And so for us in the church now, we can also be reminded of the gospel. We need it. We have to preach it to ourselves daily. We need to remember because we forget, right? And so my challenge for you guys is to remember God is moving. He is doing his thing. And nothing's going to get in his way and nothing's going to stop or hinder his plans, right? Let's pray and I'll let you guys go. Father God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that we can open up a historical narrative text and walk through it and see you moving. See you using uh, people and events and times and places to spread your word and to save lost souls and to bring love, hope, joy, and purpose to those who, who don't have it. That through these big events and small events, you remind us of who you are and that you are there and that you are moving and that nothing is going to stop you from moving throughout our lives or through uh, history in the world as you have it. Bless us. Thank you. Uh, It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Have a good week.